Welcome back to ASD, A New Perspective, the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child. And we do encourage you that growth for your child is possible. I'm Kat Lee, and in this special podcast, Dr. Sheely talks about homeschooling. In these times of COVID-19, many parents find themselves thrust into homeschooling unprepared. Herself a homeschooler? Dr. Sheely shares her experience. Let's listen in. So today we're going to be talking as two homeschooling moms. We know that so many people have found themselves, literally found themselves, homeschooling. Uh, You may not have intended to homeschool. Uh, You may be a full-time working parent who's also trying to homeschool. And we thought we would talk to you about our experiences and just some things we learned along the way. And I know, Dr. Sheely, you homeschooled your children. Yes, um, Steve Gutstein, my husband, and I decided to homeschool when our children were about five and a half and three. And the reason we decided to homeschool was, first of all, we thought it would be more fun. I have a background, I have a master's in teaching, which is an odd degree. It was a master's in teaching. And uh, one of our daughters had a quirky way of thinking about letters. And so knowing what we knew about education, we were pretty sure that if she had a learning disability, we could take the pressure off her and we could address it um, uh, in just just a matter of teaching. Um, teaching in the way that we were thinking about learning. So that's why we decided to do it. And we actually homeschooled until both girls were in about fifth grade and would have homeschooled longer, but they were ready to do friend school. So so we stopped then. Well, it's a big decision to do that. And, you know, I think about people who are just suddenly finding themselves doing that. And uh, like it takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? It takes energy and it takes a lot of planning. I think the default for most people is to grab a curriculum and just do that curriculum. And there's nothing wrong with that. We chose not to do that. Uh, we were thinking of learning in a different way. But the friends of mine who I met through the homeschool groups did use curricula. They all used um a various curriculum, ones that they liked or ones that were meeting needs they felt were right for their families. What was interesting to me, and Catherine, I'm guessing you found the same thing, was that we could really cover in about an hour and a half to two hours what the typical school day would be. So once I started, we weren't teaching five or six hours a day. We were doing an educational experience one and a half to two hours a day. And, you know, I, I want to stop for just a minute and say, if, if we have any moms or dads who are listening, thinking, I don't know the first thing about teaching. Um, as you know, I was in radio TV and I had no, I had no background in that, but you know, it's okay. If you don't know, you learn and you learn right alongside your child. So I, I, I feel like part of the energy can be spent worrying that I'm not a good teacher. 
as a parent and you can take time to learn. I, I, want, I want parents to know that. I'm glad you brought that up because I do hear that from parents. Many parents I work with say school just isn't working. It doesn't matter what I do, no matter what the IEP says, what IDEA says, what ADA says, this is not working. So I'll say, well, have you thought about homeschooling? Oh, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't even know how to begin. But the resources now for people who want to homeschool are vast and enormous and varied. It is true. And it's also true, and we, we really taught this in RDI, that parents are, they do know their children the best. And so there's a whole bunch you don't have to learn because you know your child better than any new teacher knows your child, which I think until you're put into this position, you don't really think about. But in RDI, we talk a lot about how parents have an inside ability to really know. And as you did with your child that, hey, I think that we can work, work through this interesting way of looking at letters. I'm not so sure the school's gonna know how she sees things. Well, we figured, we would do as well as anybody. <laughs> and so uh, we, just, uh, we just went forward with it. And the approach we took was um, probably pretty non-traditional, um, unusual approach. But we decided that the city of Houston would be our school. And that we would use Houston as a backdrop for all of the things that we thought our children needed to learn. The first thing we thought they needed to learn was um, a, a curiosity and creativity about subject matter. I think the idea of teaching with curiosity as a foundation is so exciting. Yeah. And it's really what gets children interested in learning if they become curious. And without that, and this is all true, right? So without that, curiosity um it's just a chore it's just a chore and it's very static and so um we could have taken a pro an approach where because i was trained as a traditional teacher we could have taken an approach where we taught reading in a very specific way and mathematics in a specific way but what we did was uh, go out into the neighborhood and look at what was in our neighborhood. And of course, we live in a large city. So there are a lot of things to do here. A lot of little courses. We could go to the Arboretum and take a course in ecology. Or we could go to the Museum of Fine Arts and, you know, <laughs> jump in the back of a school group that was getting their own special tour. So we joined a lot of groups that had no idea who we were. The other thing that we did was we would find something of interest to us. And my favorite example of this was there was a comic, a comic strip collection that came to a very small out of the way museum in Houston. So we went to look at comic strips and how they had changed over time. And for a few months, our whole curriculum was designed around comic strips. So we looked at history, what was happening. This, this comic strip was from 1950. What was going on in 1950? What were they talking about? How did people dress? How much did things cost then? How much do they cost now? 
let's have a conversation using comic strips. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about how available these things are online now. And if you can't go out to the Arboretum right now, which a lot of people can't, you can go through a walk at an Arboretum online. You can, it's such a wealth of ability now uh, to do those things virtually, which you literally had to go do physically, or you couldn't do, uh, not that long ago, actually. In some ways we take it for granted, but it really wasn't that long ago where that wouldn't have been possible. So I love these ideas and I think they're gonna be so helpful for parents who are at home. I wanted to tell uh, parents too that you shouldn't overwhelm yourself with feeling like a, you have to have a long, big to-do list. And I think that's really hard because uh, you're looking at what the schools are telling you your child needs to learn this semester and finish up with this semester. And I'm getting all kinds of thoughts from parents that I work with about that. But you have to balance that with mental health. Like, and that's the, one of the most important things right now for your family, don't you think? I think it is. And the ability to go through your day in a way that works for everybody and everybody has time to be together, the time to be by him or herself, including the children, I think is very key to what's important. Uh, one of the things that we made a decision about that <laughs> I'm not going to tell people to do or not do, but we made a decision to, <laughs> to not have the TV on. And remember, there was no screen time, there no video. Well, there were video games, but we made a decision not to do that. And the reason we did was because I think, to be honest, I love TV. I would watch TV all day long. I mean, I would watch things that weren't even important to me. So I had to draw the line. So we didn't have that kind of things. And when I made the decision to turn it off, it was a big decision and it was very hard for my children. But after about three days, and I remember somebody saying it's like an addiction and the physical manifestations of addictions go away about three days. Psychologically, it takes longer, but so um, in about three days, the girls started playing with each other and they were playing very creatively with each other. The other thing they were doing is they were taking concepts that we had been working on during our learning time and they were weaving those concepts into their play and it was really exciting to see as i said there were problems with the writing but they wrote they just wrote odd things and they would read them back i have no idea how they knew what they were doing but they got that love of reading and writing and making up their own stories and I believe it was foundational for both of them to have continued with their love of learning. Uh, it's, a, it's been a lifelong love of learning for both of them. I love that. And I was laughing at the no TV because um, my, my mother, when I was growing up, was very structured, we'll say, about when TV could be on and when it could not be on. <laughs> and uh, when it, so... I think that is um, really helpful. And that really, it also leads me to one thing that was important for me 
was to try to have a, 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 some kind of routine. Um, I like to say that static has a place of stabilization. Yes, it does. So knowing when I was going to start, when we were going to end this part of our learning, um, it just it, it just really was a nice scaffold for everything else that we could do. Uh, so. I know right now a lot of people are telling me uh, we're kind of getting up at any time. We're not, uh, we find ourselves without a structure to our day. I'm trying to work, but I don't have any, you know, I don't have any parameters. Um, and I'm supposed to be doing this. And I, I do recommend putting in your own structure. I can't tell you what that should be because everybody's an individual, but I do recommend having start times. And at the end times, like anything, you need to be dynamically uh, okay if it's a little later or whatever, runs a little longer, whatever, but I, I recommend it. I think it gives you a, a, a sense of, like I said, stability, which is something that people are really struggling with right now. One of, a mistake that I made early on was that I've, I felt like I had to have a rigid, a rigid schedule. And so I would write out a schedule from 9 to 9.30, 9.30 to 10, 10 to 10.30. And it, it began to not work. And then the thought occurred to me, why am I trying to replicate what happens in school? The kids could go to school. So then, uh, then the, kind, the pendulum kind of, uh, I saw it swinging the other way. It was like, oh, maybe we'll do school. So I, I went back and forth, uh, not for a long period of time, but I did. I was trying to get my sea legs. And what I realized was that a routine was really important. Within that routine, I could fudge a little bit around the parameters of what we were teaching, how long we would stay with something. We got going with something we could keep at it longer. But I also, as part of that experience, um, another thing that I figured out was I didn't exactly know how to do this. So I started, when you talk about framing and scaffolding, I started with a shorter period of time. And I said, let's just try this today for a half an hour. And I know that doesn't seem like much time, but once I had established 9 to 9.30, then I could go, 9 to 9.45, and then 9 to 10. And within a very short period of time, when we got ready to do school, we were ready to do school. And, you know, sometimes the school would not be, as I said, it wouldn't be in our dining room. School would be some other place. And that was really fun, too. It wasn't an adjunct. It was as important to me as reading or writing. So... And I always found even just using other parts of the house and the backyard and the front yard and just really um, being dynamic in that sense was also, I mean, we're talking about the children, but also healthy for me. Yes. Uh, just to have, just to have that dynamic brain instead of the, the this is where we do this and, and we're not moving from this spot and that type of thing. Um, so I think that's really great. I keep thinking about families who literally found themselves one day they weren't doing this and the next day they were. So I just want... <laughs> and not only that, they have to do what the school says. Their kids are online watching a teacher talk. Yeah, I mean, it's just really stressful. And, 
parents yeah. and, and for the, the kids that we know, the families I work with that you work with, they're just going to be kiddos that that's just not productive mm -hmm. and uh, that the, the parents can't make that productive for them. And even if it is productive, uh, what do you do with it as a parent, you know, after? So we know we, we've got families all over the place there, mm -hmm. um, anywhere in between. But what we can say is you can only do so much. And that does not need to be that you go right up to the edge of your, you, you know, you just can't even take it anymore. You've just got to be reasonable uh, while others may not be being reasonable with you, I guess I'll say. I feel that some of the advice I've given families who are stuck in this no man's land right now, they're self-quarantined or at least isolate, uh, self-isolating, that um, maybe, maybe start with a subject that your child is really good at and just do that one for a couple of days. And then kind of weave in what you can weave in. But I don't think any school district would expect a family with maybe four children, <laughs> and one, one computer, <laughs> one screen, to be able to do everything. And what I'm hearing from people, basically schools are saying, we're offering it, do the best you can. And if you can't, it's okay. And it is okay. It is okay, and I think parents should feel good about that. At the same time, um, if, you, if you know that your school is working third grade on fractions, you might decide to do your own teaching of fractions and making cooking. Uh, you just said fractions, and I was almost triggered. No, I... <laughs> remember when I started working on fractions with my son I was like well I'm finally going to learn fractions and that might be the case <laughs> yes. well there were a few there were a few moments like that I mean I have no idea what this is about but uh, you know, it, it, okay. uh -huh. you know <laughs> one of the things that parents can do I mean everybody that I know has an address right you have an address and you live in probably a house or an apartment or a neighborhood. And there are things about where you live that are unique to where you live and everything's online now. So you can say, well, my address here is Amherst. We live on Amherst street. So we could have said we didn't live there then, but we could say Amherst. I wonder why this street was named Amherst. I wonder who built this apartment. I wonder what it was like before. And all of that is available online. So you're teaching your children to love history in a way that they might not have loved it if you were sitting there talking about some esoteric thing that they could have cared less about, you cared less about, and you're trying to meet requirement of the school. For me, it, one thing I, I like to try to do is when there's a point of crisis or whatever it may be, is look for the opportunity, that the opportunity that there could be within that. And I don't mean that in a patronizing way or as if it's an easy thing at all. Uh, I know it's not and not at this time, but where we can find those opportunities, they are so rewarding. They, they help us through the other hard parts. I hear that in what you're talking about. 
uh, right now. And I just want, I want parents to know there are opportunities amidst, amidst this that, that they can benefit from and their child can benefit from that will last forever. I hope that, um, I, I hope that that can happen because I feel that it happened for me with my ch- my own children when I decided to homeschool and I think you feel that it happened for you when you did the same thing. So the opportunity is there, but I believe the opportunity is most prevalent when it's relevant. And what is re- what was relevant to me, I figured out pretty quickly, within a couple of months, I figured out what that was going to be. And I, we, we say to parents all the time, trust yourself. You know how to do this. <laughs> and so go ahead and trust yourself. Thanks for joining us for ASD, A New Perspective, a podcast show where we help you understand the mind of your child. And we always encourage you that growth for your child is possible. I'm Kat Lee. See you next time.